The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hi, this is Jerry from Remnant. Let's be honest, this life can be hectic, draining, and downright confusing. My hope is that by listening to this message, your life can be impacted by God's great love for you. And His love will give you wisdom, courage, and strength. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jerry Godsey. this morning, Father, because I think this is such a, a powerful message for us personally, but also for uh, us as, as, your, as families and as followers of you. Bless us now, God. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. On the night of uh, April, 27th of April, 2013, boxer Sergio Martinez fought Martin Murray for the World Heavyweight Championship. It was scheduled to go 12 rounds, and in the eighth round, this happened. He got knocked down. Ow. I don't know why people start to box. My whole idea is to not get punched. Um, And I played football, but at least we got to wear helmets and stuff. Okay? So he gets knocked down. He staggers his feet. And then in the 10th round, this happens. And I really thought he was down here. I thought this was it. In fact, one of the announcers said, he's gone. That's it. He's not coming back. But he got up shook himself off, and he won the fight. This guy who got knocked down twice, I got to tell you, if one of those guys hit me and knocked me down, I'd just stay down. Because if I get up, he's going to hit me again. See, Martinez knew that the fight wasn't over yet. Maravilla, they call him. You know, Mr. Marvelous. Okay? He didn't... He... he he knew the fight wasn't over. As long as there was still time on the clock, the fight, the fight wasn't over. A lot of us struggle with family issues and with things going on in our lives, and we just give up. Divorce is sometimes that process of just giving up. You can't take it anymore. You're done. That's it. Draw a line in the sand. Hasta luego. Bye, Dios. Your mama's llama. I'm out. It's not always... Sometimes there are other factors. And again, anytime we talk about the family, I, I don't want you to ever feel like if I say something against divorce or something like that I'm casting off on you. I'm not. I'm not. It's just situations that are hard and situations that are not the way God wants them to be. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not pecking at you. I'm really not. The way we respond to trials reveals a great deal about the strength of our Christian walk. I'd be careful scratching my head today. I hit my head on a corral at home, at, yeah, and I managed to shave off some of my scalp. So I was, um, Javi brought it up that I look like the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. I should have painted this red. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think of The way we respond to trials reveals a great deal about the strength of our Christian life. 
If we deny our troubles or if we give in to anger or bitterness, we kind of tell everybody that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't working in our lives. That the things that we say we believe aren't working. That somehow God has failed us. And I got to be honest with you. If somebody has failed, it's not God. It's not in his character. It's not in his makeup. Usually it's us thinking that we have a better way. Usually it's us thinking that we know better. Have you ever had somebody ask you for your help and then tell you how to do it? Okay. Either ask me for my help or do it yourself, but don't try to put the two together because all it's going to do is make one of us mad. And then when one of us gets mad, the other one's going to get mad. Quit trying to ask for my help if you don't want my help. And sometimes we go to God and we say, God, I got this issue in my life and here's how you should fix it. And if I was God, I would be, that's one of those times I would use the audible voice. Either fix it yourself or let me do it, but quit trying to do both. Can you imagine if God spoke to you like that in the middle of the night? I'm telling you, get your hands off of it. Quit trying to do it yourself. It's a great advance spiritually to be able to say, I believe God has allowed this difficulty for my good and his glory. Wow. See, when you start to realize that maybe you're not suffering because you did anything wrong or maybe things are going bad, not because you're in the wrong, or even if you are, why isn't God just, why isn't God, you ever wonder that, why, why isn't God just plucked me out of this problem? I prayed. I said, hey God, you know, I'm sorry, take me out of this. You ever wonder why God lets us twist in the wind sometimes? He's not letting us twist in the wind, but he is teaching us lessons. And he is allowing us to maybe touch the lives of other people. Have you ever stopped to think that the way you go through hardships says an awful lot to the people around you who aren't Christians? If, people, if you tell people you're a Christian, and you should, I'm not saying hide it. I know an awful lot of Superman Christians. Remember Superman? I, I never could understand how stupid were Superman's friends that this is Clark Kent, but this is Superman. He took off his glasses. I, I'm no great, you know, I don't have necessarily great powers of observation, but I think I could tell the same thing. If Dan took off his glasses, I think I would still know it was Dan. Ta-da. And there are some people that, you know, they have that little, that little Christian thing inside. Ta-da, super Christian. <laughs> Guys, this meek mannered meek Clark Kent. Nobody knew he's super Christian. Able to pray at a moment's notice. Able to quote scriptures when needed. Look. If you're a Christian, the people around you need to know. But if they know you're a Christian, they're watching how you handle things. They're waiting to see how you handle it when things don't go your way. Because I got news for you. Things aren't always going to go your way. Well, Pastor, do you mean? Yes. Yes. If you're a Christian, bad things still happen. Look at our verses again. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9. We're pressed on every side by troubles, 
but we are not crushed. Does that sound like somebody who's not having issues? No. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. These four statements describe the true condition of our families in the world. They're always true, even though our experience of them varies. We're not always pressured, but often we are. We're not always perplexed, but it happens more than we think. We don't always face opposition, but sometimes we do. And not every day are we struck down by the circumstances of life, but it does happen to all of us eventually. Nobody is exempt from these things. I will tell you now that if somebody told you when you became a Christian that you would never face these things, they sold you a bill of goods and they lied to you, and I'm sorry. That's like the guy that tells you when you go to buy a used car, this was only driven by a little old lady to go to church on Sundays. If anybody ever tells you that, run fast, run far. Because it was probably owned by a teenager who hot-rotted it and drove it like crazy. But we're going to talk about these things today. First of all, you need to know pressure will not defeat us. Look at verse 8 again. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. The word pressed here was sometimes used for walking through a crowd of people where they surround you and literally press against you. I've told you before, I went to, I've been to Mardi Gras once in my entire life. I lasted 30 minutes and I had to get out of there. We were there the last night of Mardi Gras in New Orleans. I was there for a conference, which coincidentally happened to tie in with the last night of Mardi Gras. I get on Bourbon Street, I'm walking down Bourbon Street, and it's just this mass of people. And 80% of them are drunk. And I mean, I don't mean just a little bit drunk. I mean they're molared. Hi, how are you? Okay, just really bad. And they were throwing beads at each other, and I got whacked in the head by beads. And then there were ladies without any shirts that really need to put their shirts on. Um, yeah. And so I'm there 30 minutes, and these guys are pressing against me, and drunks are running into me. They're not saying they're sorry or anything. And I told Annette, get me out of here before somebody gets punched. I couldn't take it. That being pressed in. You ever, get, you ever get in an elevator and it's all... And then you start doing mental notations of how much... You, know, you look at the weight chart, 3,000 pounds. He's too fitty. He's, oh, he's three. Okay, you know. And you start thinking, we're overweight. We're going to go down. Everybody breathe out. You know, don't want to breathe in. Make it as, as light as you can. The other, the other way that the word pressed here is used is pressing grapes to make wine. People with their, you know, ladies with little pudgy toes pressing down all the grapes to make wine. That's another reason not to drink wine. Because somebody's had their feet in it. I just... And I like, there are some different versions of the way this has been translated. The NIV says, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair. The message says, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. The New English Bible says, hard-pressed on every side, we are never hemmed in. Think about that. You may think you're surrounded by your troubles, but you're not hemmed in. Because God is with you. God will always have an escape for you. God will always have a way out. 
The pressures of life may squeeze us, but we are not utterly crushed. We're not always pressured, but when we are, how do we handle it? How do you respond to the pressures of life? Anybody here never had pressure in their life? Good luck. Pressure. Just pressing on you and you wonder, what is going to happen here? Look at Philippians chapter 4. How do you respond? Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. How do you handle it when the pressures of life get to you? You take them to Jesus. And that sounds very pastor to say, doesn't it? Well, sister, you just need to take your troubles to Jesus. Hallelujah. It's true. Just because it sounds trite doesn't mean it's not true. You try to do it all on your own. And what happens? If you're like me, you mess it up. You've got to let Jesus handle it. You were never designed to handle issues on your own. Christ was and is part of the equation. Last week, I told the story of the little boy that was trying to push a big rock. And he, he told his dad, I can't move it. And his dad says, have you done everything you can think of? He says, yeah, I've tried everything. He says, no. The dad says, no, you haven't tried everything. The kid says, what? He says, yeah, you haven't asked for my help yet. How many times do we struggle and we're going through it and we're just, God, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. I've tried everything. And God's like, no, you haven't tried everything because you haven't asked me for help yet. As long as you're trying to do it, you're holding back what God can do. Second thing is that confusion will not discourage us. Look at verse 8 again. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. Sometimes we just don't know which way to go. You understand the word perplexed? discombobulated, confused, we don't know what to do next. Life has a way of throwing us a curveball now and then. You ever get in a situation that was so, so hard to deal with that you just didn't know what to do? In fact, you didn't even know how to pray. There have been times in my life when I was so confused and I, I, I just didn't have any answers that if Jesus himself came to me and said, Jerry, what do you want me to do? I would say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to fix this. I don't know how to handle this. It'd have to be something from you because I can't even give you a clue. Paul said in Romans 8.26 that sometimes we don't know how to pray. Look at Romans 8.26. The Holy Spirit helps us on our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. There are moments when the pressure is so great and we're so tired and so worn out Life has become so confusing that we honestly don't know what to say to the Lord. And you know, you can be strong for a day, a couple of days, but it, when it just keeps going and going and going, fatigue wears us all out sometimes. Fatigue wears us all down eventually. And I found something that I think will give you a better illustration of this. Should we sound? Victor? Sound? 
They're going to see the Grand Canyon. So that's the Grand Canyon, huh? That's it. Well, doesn't look like much to me. Not now, but they expect it to be a big thing someday. The Grand Canyon started with a trickle of water. And over time, water eroded and made the Grand Canyon. Maybe Fred Flintstone actually saw it when he was still just a little puddle. I don't know. Where else are you going to go to church and hear about Fred Flintstone? Only remnant. We think we're so strong, but we don't, what we don't realize is that fatigue wears on us. When we're just so confused or so perplexed, it just cuts on us, cuts on us, cuts on us. I've been there. I've been there. I've been through some dark times in my life where I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to do. And you know what I did during those times? I just prayed, oh Lord. And I just sat in silence and listened to, listened to God. See, God knew what was going on. It's not like he forgot where I was. He knew where I was all along. He knew the situations that were pressing on me. He knew all the things that were going on. All I needed to do was be in his presence. I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to pray the King James prayers. You know, Lord, my mom's omnipotent father, yay, what's that? Just be honest. Just be honest. God knows where we are and he knows what we need and he knows it better than you do. Believe it or not, I know, it's going to come hard, hard to understand that the creator of the universe, the one whose attention to detail was such that the shape of the blood cells in our bodies keep them flowing through our bodies. Did you know that there's a dimple in the middle of your blood cell? If it was totally round, we get clogged up easier. But because there's a dimple there, it slides over each other. The blood cells slide over each other. If God can pay that kind of attention to detail to our bodies, I think he can handle whatever comes my way. If God is that put together, and he obviously is, then we're going to be okay. I'm sure an evolutionist would have a, have a field day with that, that statement about blood. And... Here's the thing. And by the way, if you ever want to read a great book about evolution, read uh, Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe. Very, very technical read. It took me a while to work my way through it. But he basically says that some of these things aren't explainable through evolution. I'll give you an example. If you had a, a bicycle factory and you wanted to make mousetraps, explain to me the process and the mechanism by which you would go, without shutting down the factory you would slowly change bicycles into mousetraps. At some point, you're going to have something that doesn't work as a bicycle and doesn't work as a mousetrap yet, right? Well, that hap that's in the fossil record, that's in evolution, it's in all the stuff. There are places, and they call them black boxes. The human eye. There's no way for evolution to explain the human eye. There are, no, there are not enough intermediary steps. And according to the theory of evolution, in order for something to be to, to, to move on to the next thing, then the old, it has to be better than the old way. Well, it just, there's no, there's no record for that. So evolutionists will say, well, it's a black box. We know what happened, we just don't know why. Sounds a lot like faith to me. 
The difference is I understand that if I put a bunch of rusty old car parts in my, in my backyard and I come back in, you know, 20,000 years, there's not going to be a brand new Dodge Charger sitting back there. It's going to be an even more rusted part, bunch of parts. But if I bring some people together who are mechanics and body men and interior guys, and we intelligently put it all together, we could make that into a Dodge Charger. God understands you. God knows where you are. God is, nothing that you're going through is confusing to God. In fact, when you're confused, Jesus is not confused. You have a situation with your wife or with your kids or your husband, and you're so frustrated that you don't even know where to begin. You don't even know how to pray. You don't even know how to get started. We don't have to give in to despair. It's important for you to know, even though you're perplexed, God isn't. We're not driven to despair because life doesn't depend on our knowledge of the big picture. You better say thank you, Jesus, for that. I'm so thankful that whether my life goes right or wrong is not dependent on whether or not I can grasp every little nuance. God's in charge of that. My job is to make sure that I'm following his path. Make sense? If you tell the, the Uber driver, I need to go to this address, don't you kind of trust that he knows where that address is? When we first got GPS you know, on our phones and stuff, I would argue with the GPS. Because the way they wanted to go was not the way that I thought we should go. Do you know who won those battles? The GPS. And so finally I just say, oh, okay, whatever. Now I'll just follow the GPS. I may fall it off the edge of a cliff someday. I don't know. We'll see what happens. God does his best work when we've given up completely. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. Starting in verse 8, three different times I beg the Lord to take away. Paul is writing saying, I have a thorn in my flesh. Some people believe it was that he was almost blind. They believe that he was hunchbacked. And he had some kind of, of problem in his flesh. And he says, three times I prayed, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecution, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. It, it's, it's like we, we, we don't recognize that we're too weak to do something. And God's standing by and saying, you know what, with a flick of my finger I can push this rock out of the way. I just need you to admit you can't do it. I just need you to quit fighting. I've told you the story before about Watchman Nee who um, was at a men's conference and they, they, there were so many men, they were, they were taking baths out in this lake and they had a guy who was a trained lifeguard there and, and the guy, so some dude gets in over his head and starts to sink. You know, he's doing the one finger up, two finger up kind of thing. So everybody turns to look at the lifeguard guy and he's standing on the on the edge of the water watching him. And the guy's splashing around because he's drowning. He's drowning. He's going to die. Eventually, he just gives up, you know, and he starts sinking like a rock. Then the lifeguard goes swimming out there. 
Pulls the guy up to shore, saves his life. Guy's fine. But Watchman is still really upset. So he goes to the man and he says, this is his quote. He says, I've never known a man who loved his own life as much as you. Which is a nice way of saying you're selfish. He said, if you had swum out there earlier, you could have saved all the hardship and all the panic of that man. And the lifeguard looked at him very quietly and said, sir, if I had swam out earlier, he would have killed us both. I couldn't help him until he quit trying to help himself. Once he gave up, I could save him. And man, that says a lot for us, doesn't it? Give up. Let God take care of it. Quit trying to be Mr. Macho. I can do this myself. Really? How's that working out for you, Sparky? Not well. Not well. When we are weakest, God is strongest. Maybe you're perplexed and you don't know what to do. Great. That's a great place to be. You're this close to letting God take over. Thirdly, opposition will not deter us. 2 Corinthians 4.9 We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Some of the versions of the Bible call this persecuted. We are persecuted. When it says hunted down here, it literally means like a hunter goes after his prey. Oh my Lord, they've killed him. The word hunted here literally means the way a hunter pursues its prey. I don't hunt just because you have to go early. I'll go to the supermarket if I have to. What's wild game? Yeah, that's fine. This is the same word. These guys go out and hunt on 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 uh, the first day of dove season. They're up at o dark thirty and they're shivering, and and then they get hot to shoot a little tiny bird that you can't even really eat very much of. Eat chicken. Oh, it tastes like chicken. Well, then eat chicken. You ever watch those movies where the good guy is, is, is coming through and he, and he knows somebody's following but he can't quite put his finger on who it is? He keeps looking back behind him. Then the music gets more intense. Dun, 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 dun. That's how you feel sometimes, don't it? Don't you feel like sometimes like you're being hunted by trouble? We had a Volvo station wagon when I was youth pastor in El Cajon that could sense when we had extra money. That car hunted us. We seriously got so superstitious about it, we wouldn't talk about money in the Volvo. Because it was made in some hellish part of Sweden. And it had a thing for, for it blew up alternators. Honestly, I went through like six alternators in five months. That's not normal. So we didn't talk about money in front of the Volvo because we just knew, the Volvo knew, if we had a few extra bucks, it was time to blow an alternator. That car hunted me. And sometimes, don't you just feel like you're, like you're a poop magnet? This isn't a nice way to put it. That's cleaned up from the way they used it at the sheriff's office, by the way. We had certain deputies who were just poop magnets. Wherever they went, poop happened. 
This is not a normal Sunday morning talk, is it? But it's me, so you're kind of expecting it. We had, some, we had one guy that we used to work the fair with, and we had to tell him, like about, we all got off at 11. At about 10.30, we tell him, go sit in the room. Go sit in the squad room. And he said, why? He said, because you're going to get us all in the middle of something at 10 minutes 11. We're all going to end up overtime. We want to go home. So we'd make him just stop talking to people and just go sit in the, in the squad room. Because we just knew he was going to cause something. Or he was going to walk on something. He didn't cause them. He just happened to be there when they happened. Like, dude, you're bad luck. Go. Go sit. Because invariably, he would find something. Crazy. So we got him a sign. Poop magnet. Again, that's very cleared up. Cleaned up from when I heard it. You ever feel like you're that, though? Like, just trouble knows where to find you? Paul says, you know what? That happens to all of us. You may think you're the only one. You may look at a situation in your life and think, oh, <laughs> I'm the only one that's ever gone through this. And God says, nah, I've heard this a bunch of times. Oh, but Lord, you don't understand. God says, you know, I understand. You understand that there have been millions of people before you and there'll be millions of people after you. You get that, right? That you're not alone. You're not the only one that's got a mouthy teenager. You're not the only one that has a husband who doesn't you know, do the right thing or a wife who doesn't do the right thing. You're not the only one. We want to think we're special. My problems are special. No, they're not. Paul knew about this. Paul knew about this from personal experience. Everywhere he went, his Jewish opponents followed him. They were on him all the time. They stayed on his trail, attacking his character, maligning his preaching, mocking his message, and stirring up opposition inside and outside the church. They never gave him a moment's rest. Imagine coming into a new town. All you want to do is tell people about Jesus, but already they're waiting for you at the gate. Dude, go away. We don't want you here. We don't, you, we don't want you talking about this Jesus guy. We're going to kill you. Now, here's the problem with a guy like Paul. What do you do with Paul? Because if you tell Paul, we're going to kill you if you preach about Jesus, he says, great. Because if you kill me, I'll get to go be with Jesus. All right, well, if you tell people about Jesus, we're going we're gonna, to, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll beat you. Great. By his stripes, I'm healed. By his stripes, I, you know, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Okay, well, we'll let you preach. Great. That's why I came here anyway. What do you do to a guy like that? You've got no power over him. And when Satan pursues you, when things start coming your way, we should have that attitude. Great. If I'm going through hardship, that means that God is teaching me something. That means God is doing something in my heart and I'm going to come out of this stronger and better. Oh, but you might die. Great! If I die, I'll go be Jesus. Satan doesn't know how to handle us. And all he can do is just keep picking at us. All he can do is just keep opposing us. Bob Jones, the Bob Jones University is named after, used to say, the door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. The door of opportunity hinges, 
swings on the hinges of opposition. If things are opposing you, that means that God has an opportunity for you on the other side of that door. Now think about, now think about the things you go through. Opportunity, the dictionary says, a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. If you feel like you're being hunted, if you feel like there's opposition coming your way, it just means that God has an opportunity for you. Opportunity and opposition go together. 1 Corinthians 16.9, Paul said it this way. He said, there's a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. I got a wide open door here. Some great stuff's about to happen. Yeah, there's some people going to oppose me. Whatever. My God is bigger. My God is greater. If you set out to do anything good in this world, especially in your family, there are going to be people who say, mm, not so fast, Sparky. They'll bring up your past. They'll bring up your shortcomings. They'll talk to you about all the reasons why it can't work. But here's the thing. I know why it has to work. That's because God's involved. Frederick Buchner was a young writer. He attended a very posh dinner party on Long Island. And the hostess said to him, listen to this, I understand that you're planning to enter their ministry. Is that your idea, or were you poorly advised? Ouch. Frederick Buchner went on to write some incredible books for, for the Lord. When I was a, when I felt called to the ministry, my dad and I had been estranged for a long time, and as we were kind of coming back together, I, he asked what I was going to do. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to be a minister. He said, oh, you're still thinking about that, huh? Yeah, I'm still thinking about that. He didn't like it. But you know what? He's not the one that called me. God called me. And I'd love to tell you that calling has gone smoothly. You, if you know me at all, you know my story is not that way. I've had opposition. I've had ups and downs. I've had highs and I've had lows. I've had hurts that almost chased me out of the ministry. But through it all, God was with me. And, I've told you so many times before, if I had not gone through the last church that I went through, where I got voted out and so many bad things happened, so many people were just ugly. If I had not gone through that, I wouldn't be Pastor Remnant today. It was, it was that bad experience that made me finally listen to what God was calling me to be and do, which was to start something along the lines of Remnant. This church is a vision God gave me 10 years before it ever came to, came to pass. A place where you could come and be comfortable and not feel like you had to wear a shirt and tie. A place where you could come and just hear God's word and not have to go through all the dog and pony show that so many places do. A place where I could wear shorts when I preach. One of the advantages of being one of the founding pastors, I set the dress code, it's cool. When Satan pursues us, God is always by our side. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, is what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus tells his disciples to go into the world. Look at, look at Matthew 28, 18. 
Jesus came and told his disciples, I have, given, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I've heard this preached so many times, and it's always in us reaching the world. And as I was looking at it this week, I realized that we may have cut this version short. We may not be looking at everything this, this verse has to offer. Because there are two brackets. There's one at the beginning, one at the end. Look at verse 18. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he closes it by saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's like the neighborhood bully has, has challenged us to a fight. And we're shaking in our boots. We're scared to death. And something with all authority comes by and says, I am with you even in the end of the earth. If you are scared to death and this big bully's coming and he's going to beat the tar out of you and all of a sudden Paul Bunyan walks up. Ten feet tall, arms and legs as big around as tree trunks. He's got a big blue ox following him. He's got an axe. And he says, don't worry about this. I got you. I got your back. Wow. You scared of some little wimpy guy, some little bully guy anymore? In fact, I'm pretty sure when Paul Bunyan comes up, me and Paul Bunyan come walking up, the guys say, you know what? You're okay with me. I'm going to go home. Because if you scratch a if you scratch a bully deep enough, you find a coward. Or imagine Donald Trump saying to you, not as president, as Donald Trump the billionaire, don't worry about your investments. I got confidence in you. Even if you mess up, I'll bail you out. I've got more money than you ever dreamed of, and I like you, so I'm backing your play. That's actually a financial term, backing your play, which means that if you end up financially over your head, He's going to come in and bail you out. And why is he doing it? Because he believes in you. So how do you feel when you're about to start a business and Donald Trump says, hey, I'm back in your play. I'm behind you. Does it worry you now to start a business? No, because you've got a lot more dollars than you have behind you. So bring that back to the words of Jesus. Go into the world, make disciples. But remember this, you're not going alone. I'm going to be with you. I'm backing your play. I'm right beside you. You cannot fail because I am with you wherever you go. Yeah, the world wants to confuse us. The world wants to perplex us. But it can't happen. Because God has our back. So yeah, we get confused. You try to reach your family and you try everything. And you forget that you're not supposed to be trying anything. You're just supposed to let God live through you. If you've got a spouse or a kid or a family member that isn't, you know, they're, they're, they're a problem, they're, they're, they're causing friction with you, quit trying to change them and just let God do it. Let God come in and do something great. Reaching our family is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus does. Because if you try to do it, you know what's going to happen? You're going to mess it up. How do I know? Because you got priors. 
never left alone. In Daniel chapter 3, there's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're supposed to bow down to this statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and they decide not to do it. They said no. God says no. So Nebuchadnezzar goes nuts. In fact, he has the fire stoked like it's seven times higher than it was before. And he has his three biggest, burliest soldiers throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of them, keep that in mind, three of them, throw them into the fire, and the fire is so hot that the soldiers that threw them into the fire died. Daniel 3.23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement, exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Who is with them? God. In fact, the story goes on, it says when they pulled them out of the fiery furnace, they didn't even smell like smoke. They weren't even singed. It's like somebody put them in a bath water. Nothing was wrong. And Nebuchadnezzar says, truly the God of Israel is the real God. See, we go through the fiery furnace sometimes. We're confused. We don't know what to do. And God says, you know what? If you just let me, I'll shine through you. People look at you and say, hey, they're going through the fiery furnace. Man, there's some bad stuff. But you know what? There's somebody there helping them. His name is Jesus. Number four, hard hits will not destroy us. 2 Corinthians 4.9, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. If you live long enough, you'll be hit with a sucker punch sooner or later. It's going to happen. Now, it may not be a physical sucker punch. I personally have been sucker punched. It's not a pleasant experience. I was walking out of a Brawley uh, Central game when I was in high school, and somebody from Brawley just thought I looked like a good target and hit me and knocked me down. When I turned around, they were gone. It's a good thing they were gone because I was not in the mood to turn the other cheek. I walked out of a party and got hit in the ribs with a baseball bat once. That was, that was enjoyable. Sucker punch. Never saw the guy coming. And he was going to crush my skull. He took offense at something I had said. Can't imagine that, can you? Um, I had it coming. Let's be honest, I had it coming. Just out of the blue. I got run over by a bull, or a steer, not too long ago. Some of you remember that. I had no idea he was coming. When he came, he came. Every now and then, you're going to get hit by a sucker punch. The word struck down. Knocked down. The sudden emergency, the unforeseen incident, the late night phone call, the crisis seems to come out of nowhere, the catastrophe that overwhelms us, the earthquake of trouble that rocks our world. Here's the problem. Most of us feel like we can handle moderate trouble. I got a flat tire. I can handle that. What if you're on your way to a job interview that you really need to get to? Now that's not moderate trouble anymore, is it? When you get phone calls in the middle of the night, it's never good news. 
I don't remember where I was when I got the phone call that a good, good friend of mine, one of my mentors, Dwight Westover, he and Rick Peterson died in a plane crash. They were in a dirt storm and they lost sight of the horizon and they crashed and died. And Dwight was one of my mentors. Dwight was one of the guys that fostered me in the ministry and, and really a good brother. And I'm, I don't know where I was when I heard that noise or when I got that call, but I can remember just sitting there numb. I, did, I couldn't even cry. It wasn't until a year or so later when I was in another ministry position, I, I was so happy with where God had me, and I picked up the phone, and I was going to call the district office and talk to Dwight, and I realized then I couldn't call Dwight. He wasn't there. I put the phone down, I laid my head down on my, bed, my desk, and I wept. That phone call was devastating. It took me so long to even process it. We get those situations. We just get sucker punched by life. How do you handle it? How do you move beyond that? We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We can handle a cranky boss or a sick child or a prickly neighbor. We know what to do. We have a fender bender when the electricity goes out. We can scrimp for a few days when there's more time left in the week than there is money. But when the big stuff comes, what do we do? How do we handle it when the rain, the thunderstorm turns into a rainstorm? When the trickle of water becomes a flood? What then? I love what Mike Tyson said. Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched. What do you do? Sometimes you'll see the blow coming. More often than not, it seems to come out of anywhere. It's a big mistake to think that God promises to shield his children from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. What happens to others happens to us too. Being a Christian does not insulate you from the things that go on in this world. It just doesn't. And again, if you were told that, I'm sorry, somebody lied to you. What being a Christian does, though, is let you know that, yes, you're going through the, the fire right now, but God's there with you. God is right there beside you. You're not going to be overwhelmed. Somebody may sucker punch you, but they're not going to kill you because God won't let it happen. We get sick. Our children get sick. We get laid off. The recession takes away our savings. The chemo doesn't always work, and sometimes we end up in divorce court. What then? I'm convinced that our best way to tell the world what Jesus is doing is to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. Clever arguments can only take you so far. Our friends will judge our Christian our Christianity mostly by how we respond when we take it on the chin. Tim Keller said that we need a theology of suffering if we're going to reach this generation. If Christians are the light of the world, as the Bible calls us, when is the light most likely to be seen? If I walk out of here in the bright sunlight here in Imperial Valley in the summertime with a flashlight, is anybody really going to see my light? No, they're going to say, look at that moron with a flashlight out in the bright sunlight. What's wrong with them? 
But if it's pitch dark out there and I walk out with a flashlight, you can see the light. When the, your life is darkness, when, the, when, the, when the, the lives around you are darkest, that's when your light should shine. That's when your light should show who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life. We are the light of the world 24 hours a day. But our testimony that we give in the middle of hardship and pain is the one that the world sees the most. If you win the lottery and say, you know, thank you, Jesus. They're like, oh yeah, thank you, Jesus. He just won the lottery. But something really bad has happened to you and you're still thanking Jesus. If you're like Paul and you're singing in prison, people are going to notice that. Sometimes we go through things so that God can shine through us. Are we under pressure? Yes. I love the, gritty, the nitty-gritty of this, the realism of this passage, right? Are we under pressure? Yes. Do we get confused sometimes? Yes. Do we face harsh criticism? Yes. Are we knocked down sometimes? Yes. That's life. That's reality. That's the truth of every follower of Jesus. If you thought anything different, go back to the recruiting office that brought you in and tell them you lied. But the reality is that God has victory for us. No matter how big the pain, no matter how big the suffering, God has victory. I've prayed for people that died. I've prayed that God would heal people who died. And the first time it happens, you're like, well, what now? Did, did God not hear my prayer? God heard your prayer. He just had a different plan. When you were three years old and told your mom that you wanted to play with knives, your mom said, no, let's, let's use crayons instead. Did your mom hate you? No, she just understood that crayons, uh, crayons were a better choice than knives. There are times when we pray for something and we ask God to earnestly do it and God says, you know what, I have a better plan for you. It may cut some of your height off for a little bit, but you're going to be better in the long run. Are you willing to hold on through the hardship so that you can find the victory that Christ has for you? Because that's really the question, isn't it? Christ offers victory through trouble, not victory apart from trouble. Look at that, look at that phrase. God gives us victory through our troubles, not apart from our troubles. J. Philip Arthur summarized the meaning of our text. I think this is on the PowerPoint. Taken together, these four images that we talked about tell us that Paul was a hard-headed realist with no romantic illusions about his service for God. Far from depicting himself as a spiritual superhero blazing a trail of success like a comet across the first century sky, Paul portrayed himself as a groggy fighter reeling from a succession of near-lethal blows, surprised to find himself still on his feet, and sure that if he was still standing, it was only by the grace of God. Last week we talked about how we're clay pots, fragile, easily broken. But that's where God hides his treasure. And that's the verse right before this. That's verse 7, right before this. 
So he says, we are God's treasure, hidden in clay pots. Nothing spectacular. Nothing beautiful to look at. But God keeps his treasure inside of us. And yeah, sometimes we get knocked down. Sometimes we get confused. But God is always there for us. Your family is like that clay pot too. Yeah, it's fragile. All it takes is one wrong word and you can set your spouse off. All it takes is the wrong word and your teenager you just go into a... Oh, I don't miss having teenagers at home. I really don't. You hate me! I don't hate you. But... We talk a lot about the victorious Christian life. I'm all for that as long as you understand victory the way Paul did. Paul said, I'm victorious, but only because I've gone through it and I'm still standing. Only because I've gone through it and I've learned how to let God shine through me. I've learned how to live it only because I didn't have any choice. A lot of people want their Christian life to be like the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know the ride at Disneyland? Yo-ho, yo-ho. Have you ever really been scared in the Pirates of the Caribbean? Have you? Wimpy. No. You, you go, well, yeah, when the falls. Yeah, that, that's, yeah that, that just makes you puke. That doesn't make you scared. But you, you see all, you know, the guys with the swords and oh, they're raising cane and they're always chasing that one fat lady around. Nothing's changed. That poor fat lady, she shouldn't be fat anymore because she's been running like crazy from that guy for years. But he you enter, get scared by the pirates in there? Like you think that one of those pirates is going to jump in your boat? Not really. And if you think that, you need to see a doctor. Especially if you've been there two or three times. I go to the Pirates Caribbean today and it's the exact same thing I've always seen. Now it's not even interesting. Now it's just like, oh look, here's the fat lady running around. That's the way a lot of us want our Christian life. You have a thrill ride, but you're never really in danger. Yeah, you're going to go hurtling down the one hill, but you know you're going to live. It just kind of takes your breath away. But life isn't like that. Life is hard. We face danger around every corner. Here's the way I look at victory, the way Paul did. Paul said, yes, I face trouble every day. And sometimes I despair of my own life. I'm under pressure all the time. I get confused. People attack me. Sometimes I get knocked down by life. But that's when the power of Christ shows up to help me. If I have victory, it's victory through trouble and not victory apart from trouble. See, this is when you know you're relying on God. If you've got a Christian walk that is like a wading pool, you know, a foot deep, six feet wide, but nobody's going to drown in it. Sometimes we do that. We have these really shallow experiences with God. And then when the really tumultuous things happen, we give up. Wilbur Reese wrote this years ago. See, 
we don't get to choose our troubles. We just get to choose our response in our troubles. And Wilbur Reese wrote this, and this is what a lot of people's Christian experience is like. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. You know what? You don't get $3 of God. You get it all. It's not as if we can say, I'll take some light tribulation, but let's hold off on the persecution. And if you don't mind, I think I'll skip the part about being knocked down. The Christian life is not like a potluck picnic. Oh, look, somebody brought chicken wings. Oh, they brought kale salad. I'll eat the chicken wings, but that kale is just, that's just, that's a, no, that's a non-starter for me. The Bible isn't like that. The Christian walk isn't like that. We say, well, God, I'll take a little bit of trouble, but not too much, you know. I just want $3 worth of trouble. God says, no, either take me 100% or don't take any. By God's grace, we are knocked, though we are knocked down, we are not knocked out. If you follow Jesus, you're going to face suffering, trouble, distress, and perplexity. Sometimes you'll feel backed into a corner. Sometimes you may think that God has forgotten you. But if you hang on, you will see God's power at work. And though you are broken by life, out of your brokenness will come the fragrance of Christ himself. God loves broken people. Last week I talked about how God loves losers. Because it's losers that God is able to rise up and make new. Your homes need you to quit trying to fight. Your homes need you to give them to God. Quit trying to change your kids. Quit trying to change your spouse. It's not going to work. I'll paraphrase my grandpa. Trying to change your spouse is like trying to teach a pig to sing. It doesn't work and annoys the pig. Trying to change your spouse is annoying the spouse and it's not going to work. How about letting the Holy Spirit do his work? How about letting God touch the lives of the people that you love? How about praying that, that through them, through him, I mean, they will change? Look, you may live another 50 years or you may live the next 24 hours. Who knows? All the more reason for you to do everything you can to follow Christ. William Barclay said, No man need fear the years, for they bring him nearer, not to death, but to God. A year from now, if Jesus tarries and you, you don't die, you're going to be a year older. And whether you're a year closer to God is up to you. Your family is going to be a year older in, a, in another year. Whether God has used you to work in their lives or not, it's totally up to you. If you're going to get there a year from now anyway, wouldn't you like it to be with God? Wouldn't you like to be in a way that God is able to bless? Your choice. 
Are you ready to hear what God has to say through your family? Are you ready to go through getting sucker punched every now and then for the victory that God will give you? You're going to get sucker punched anyway. You might as well make it worth something. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks. You're so good to us, Father. I am so thankful that you are a loving God. God, that you care about us, that you want to see us succeed. God, thanks. your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you a question. Are you still trying to fight your own battles? Or are you ready to let God move through you? Have you been trying to do things yourself and just kind of messing them up? Or have you really let God be God? And you may be here this morning and say, you know what, Jerry, I, I, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I don't, I don't know what all this you're talking about. It's a great opportunity for you right now to just, just look to God and say, okay, God, I may, I may not have ever done this before or maybe it's been a long time, but God, I want you as my Savior. I want you to forgive me, God. I want you to touch my life. If that's you, just go to him now. Just go to him and say, okay, God, I just want you. If you're here this morning and you've known Christ and, and your, your family is at odds and, and, and you're at odds and you're so, you, didn't, you came in here today and you didn't know what to do. You have put on a brave face and marched in the door, but you're so confused, you don't even know where to start. Let God have his way. Let God touch your life. Let God do in you what he wants to do. And if that's you this morning, just go to him right now and say, okay, God, I'm tired of fighting this battle that I'm not equipped to fight anyway. So God, help me. Help me. Let me turn this over to you. And then right now, whatever your issue is, if it's your spouse, if it's your kids, if you're, whatever it is, if it's your job, give that to God right now. God, here's my life. Here's my marriage. Here's my, my kids, my grandkids, my life, my job. God, here it is. Right now, I'm tired of messing with it. I'm going to let you do it. And then let's see what God does this week, huh? When you quit messing with it and trying to fix it, let's see what God does. Father, I pray for these folks today, God, that you would touch each one of us, that our lives would be, would be lights that shine in the darkness. God, that we would recognize that, yeah, we've been pressed down, but we're not down and out. We're down, but not out. Thanks, God. I pray this week that we'll hear stories of victory as people turn their lives over to you. It may not happen this week. Maybe it'll happen in a month. It may, who knows? But God, cover us with your love. Cover us with your grace and your mercy. And let us rely on that. And let's see what happens in you. Thanks, God. Thanks. 
Now, if you've asked him right now, would you tell him thanks? Just take that step of faith. Maybe you, you, you don't see the answer yet, but, but say thanks. God, thanks. I trust that you're going to do these things, God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Bless it now, we ask in your name. Amen. Stand with me. Let's sing this last song. If you need to talk to me, find me after service. Let me tell you something. Avoid, avoid the urge this week to try and take the reins back. If you gave it to God, get your hands off it. Don't try to fix it. Let God take care of it. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us online at remnantchurchiv.com. You built a mighty fortress.